Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It is good to be with you. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also go to our website, johnwarrenmedia.com, for more information about our work. Feel free to send along an email to john at johnwarrenmedia.com. You can also use our contact form on the website to reach us. I am happy to respond to all of your inquiries, all the serious ones, at least. I'm grateful for this uh, this audience, this group of loyal listeners. You are much more numerous than I expected that you would be, and I'm thankful for this opportunity to talk with you every week. This week, we are in graduation season, and that's that's kind of a funny thing because it happens at different times throughout different parts of the country. It's really curious to me that in the Orlando area, a lot of schools start very early in August and end very early in May. Uh, other schools up north might have a uh, sort of a uh, Labor Day start or just after Labor Day and then go almost through Memorial Day. So we're a little different throughout the country, but this is graduation season. And today, you know, with the last couple of episodes, we've talked about government and the economy. We've talked about government's role in the economy, and we've dispelled some myths and maybe pushed some alarm buttons about our national debt and so on. It's a theme I, I like to talk about a lot. I see a day of reckoning coming. I just, I just saw it news story that talked about uh, Brazil wanting to replace the dollar as the world currency for trade or something like that, or at least use their own currency for for their trade. And I just kind of chuckled and thought, you know, while I am afraid of the dollar being, you know, the full faith and credit of the United States being diminished, I don't think we're going to pick Brazil's cu- currency to replace the dollar in international trade. But, but today I want to I want to uh, switch want to shift gears and I, I want to talk about something that is heavy on my heart and it's it's heavy because there's a there's a thing that I'm convinced from working with students for many years now uh, students at the first the college level and now the high school level the, the undergraduate college level and now the high school level and just living my own life all these years, I'm convinced there's a thing that we all have to do. There's a, I think it's a biblical theme as well. And, and we, we have to come to the end of ourselves. And I, I look at people in scripture and, and it almost doesn't matter where you go, which section of scripture you go to, you can find someone who's who deals with this challenge. And sometimes I think the pattern is that we we rebel, we we live in self-reliance and in sin, self-sufficiency. And I'm, I'm talking about 
still people who who are Christ followers and in the Old Testament who who have faith in God, who've been justified or declared righteous. And, and we, we use that language very specifically because that's how Scripture references it in the Old Testament. And even when, when Paul quotes the New Testament, uh, the Old Testament in the New Testament, he, he talks about justification by faith or even Abraham and David being declared righteous by faith, uses them as an example, as you know. So even for the justified, there's a tendency to still gravitate toward sin in our lives. There's a, uh, and you know, I, I'm, I'm going to kind of focus this on, on graduation as a, as a, just because it's graduation season, but I'm not just talking to graduates and I'm not just talking to young people. I'm talking to all of us about this tendency that we have. The implications of the fall are far worse, far more dramatic far more significant than we like to think. We love hearts and rainbows. We love feel-good posts on social media. We love scripture that contains beautiful promises, like the end of Romans 8, nothing will separate us from the love of God. We love those passages, and they are wonderful, and they're part of scripture, and they're good focal points for us. However, there's a reality. The wrath of God is a reality. God's hatred of sin is a reality. The implications of sin in our lives is a reality that, that we have to come to grips with. And there's kind of a turning point. And I, you know, I, I don't want to make this sound like the, the throw a log on the fire at the, at the Christian camp moment, but but there, there's a season of life that we all seem to go through, and I watch this with young people, where we have to figure it out. We have to come to the end of ourselves and turn and trust, surrender, and trust God with our lives. If we're really going to be Christ followers, there are some things that we have to do that start with a total change in perspective. So... Today, I want to just talk about that, and I, th- I think this could be helpful. It's a heavy subject on my heart because there are young people, I see it all the time, and, and I'm, I'm going to talk about young people right now, but this is, this, <laughs> if I could confess, I mean, this, this, this was true of me, and, and this, this is true of people who are, who are older adults, who are even parents sometimes, who tend to live a bit of a double life. I'm not suggesting, you know, that they live a total double life like you see in the movies sometimes. Um, but but I am suggesting that there's kind of me, the Christian, and then me, the worldly person with most of us at various points in our lives. I'm not suggesting we have to earn God's righteousness, God's grace is completely sufficient, but I am suggesting that there's a way to live There's living in the context of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which I realize to some will sound like a Sunday school lesson, but there's a right way to live in that context that is life-changing. And and it it has to do with the renewing of your mind in Romans 12 and, and so on. 
And we've talked a lot about that. But today, as, as we walk through this, I want to just, I want you to think about if, if you were talking to a group of young people who were going out into the brave new world at, at whatever age, maybe they're leaving high school to go to college, maybe they're leaving college to go to grad school or grad school to go out into the workforce or any of those other levels to go out into the workforce, but they are, they're going to go from the bubble of the family if they were blessed to have a Christ following family to the brave new world. And students do this a, a number of ways. And, and we adults do this too. We, 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 we have the safety and security of our, our spouses, our children, our, our parents and, and grandparents in some cases, uncles, aunts. Uh, and, and then, and then we have the life that we live when nobody's looking. And I know you're immediately going to start cringing as when I talk like that, but that that who we really are, and 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 that's that's apart from God, that is really ugly. That is self-focused, self-reliant, self-sufficient, and and I've already convinced you if you've been listening to this podcast, Scripture has already convinced you that if you've been with me for a long time, that we're all there's none righteous, no, not one. Paul was right. All have turned aside, and even good people pursue moralism, which is basically I can be good enough. But most of us have sinned and sinned significantly, and God has been gracious and faithful, and gracious and faithful, and gracious and faithful. And there's a there, then there's a hardening that can happen where it becomes easier to sin. And and I I know I I know you know this if you've been on this earth for any period of time. Uh, you know, say you're 20 years old or older, you, you, you know this. I, I have high school students who get this because they're smart and their families love them and they teach them biblical truth. That there, there's a, there, God's grace and God's faithfulness are amazing, but then there's a hardening where sin becomes easier, more normal, more easily repeated. Well, you young people, and I, I don't want to, give you an age cutoff there. I, I'd say all of us have experienced a pandemic and then the COVID-19 pandemic is, I, you know, as I look at it, I'm, I'm not much of a sociologist. I, I find those fuzzy sciences, no offense to you sociologists out there, if any of you listen to Relentless Truth, but I, I find them a little frustrating and, you know, what, what do people do in groups and trends and that kind of thing? I find it difficult to understand. I, for example, I was, I was taken back totally by the COVID-19 toilet paper and paper towel shortage. What on earth is that? In fact, I held up a copy of the Wall Street Journal in my class, in one of my classes, economics classes, that, that year, whatever, what year was that? Uh, 2020 in the spring. And, and I, I said, I said something like, can you believe they're blaming a, a two-day decline in the stock market on a virus that originated in some bats in China? That's absurd. And then 10 days later, we were we went home for the rest of the school year and did school virtually on Zoom. And I had to buy a new computer because my, I mean, I knew how to use Zoom before, but, but I kept getting with all those people on it and with bandwidth and you IT folks could probably tell me what else went wrong, but I had to get a computer with a faster processor and I had to do so quickly and, and we, uh, I learned, I learned, uh, my students taught me all of Zoom's, uh, nuanced features. They had, 
animation and they could turn themselves upside down and change their backgrounds and and all the rest and then then there's this this toilet paper shortage that ensued toilet paper paper towels and we learned that we we weren't washing our hands correctly all this time we had these stay-at-home orders events were canceled or modified i i remember longing for things that that i didn't even do on a regular basis one one of them was we have the, we have this community center in my neighborhood and i i wanted to I wanted to chip and putt golf balls all of a sudden because I because I hadn't been around people very much and everything was online and I remember watching a concert that was online and and various musicians and I watched American Idol end its season that year virtually which was just weirdest thing ever and so so we we learned that we hadn't been washing our hands correctly we learned how long it's supposed to take my wife's a nurse so she showed me some pointers and I think there was some song or something you're supposed to sing. Maybe it might've been not sure I recall it, but it might've been the happy birthday song or something. And, and I had always neglected washing my thumbs correctly. I learned during this period, but, but we go through all that and, and Broadway closed for a long time. Sporting events had no audience. There were cardboard things in the audience and, and we were told that this virus should dissipate and there would be this turning point on, if I remember correctly, it was August 4th of 2020. And, and that, that didn't happen. And then my students came back to class the next year, the next August, and they were wearing masks and it was weird. And I mean, there, there are even students I never, whose faces I never saw. And, and then, then there were guys, and I'm not going to name them, but there, were, there was a group of guys who were really friendly and kind and outgoing and they were all hugging each other that first day and I thought oh my goodness I can't believe we got all these protocols and but but you've grown up if you're if you're a graduate or you're a relative relatively young person you you grew up with this and I and, and I I don't know I you know I, I don't know all the implications of of, of this pandemic still to I don't think we do I think our our spending patterns are, are different. Uh, there's kind of a sweeter feeling in life in general. I remember after 9-11, there was this, it was weird. There was this fear, but there was a kindness. The edge was taken off of life for a while. Not for long, but for a while. And I, I think COVID has done that. And I, I liken it, if you like history, I, I liken it to the, uh, the period in the early 20th century after the Spanish flu and after World War One. There, there I think that must have been a similar period. And and then the other implications of the pandemic are that people spend money more more readily and and the supply chains disrupt. I mean, there's there's still implications of the pandemic that we're dealing with today. And so or sort of byproducts of it. But you know, I I know that that was traumatizing it was weird it was did, did we give up our rights or were we not prudent and if you know, there's a spectrum of reactions to the pandemic but this is a time period notwithstanding the pandemic where young people you are maturing you're taking on adult responsibilities this is a challenging time and parents i hope you hear this and and i know i know you know it but it can be a challenging time under normal circumstances as young people prepare to leave the nest. And leaving the nest does not happen the day 
you drop them off at college. Even though that was one of the worst days of my life, um, we dropped our daughter off at Florida State University. And this goes back about eight years ago. And I remember jumping on I-10 to drive back home after this, you know, several trips from the SUV into the dorm room with tears and hugs. And I even hugged the campus police officer. I think he hugged me because he saw the tears in my eyes. And I asked him to take good care of her. And he said, I will, sir. Almost makes me cry to say those those words out loud. We get on I-10 and we're both sobbing as our only child daughter. And we're sobbing and I said something pathetic like, do you think we've made the biggest mistakes of our lives? Should we turn around? Should we take the next exit and go pick her up and bring her back home? Which I know sounds way too protective, but that's that's what I was thinking at that moment. I'm not the best under pressure sometimes. So, you know, what's weird about this age, though, is... The student, the young person begins preparing to leave the nest and, and they leave different ways. You know, there's nothing wrong with them taking on a trade and getting a job or going to community college or what, whatever it is they do. And, and we as parents can feel them pulling away. And, and what that usually does to us and what it did to me is it makes us want to increasingly give them our advice, our opinions. In most families, if not all, in the vast majority of families, a young person, when they, after they, when they get to the point where they're in 11th or 12th grade even, and maybe before that in a lot of families, they already know all of our advice and opinions. You ever notice that? We love to, and they roll their eyes. If they don't do it literally, they do it in their heads, and they think, Oh my goodness, I've heard this speech a thousand times. I already know your opinion on this. And we feel compelled. And, and what it is, is, is a, it's really our flaw as parents because we think, have I prepared them well enough? In fact, I have not prepared them well enough. Therefore, I'm going to barrage this young person and push them away from me emotionally by giving them more advice and opinions of mine, just the same old ones rephrased in different contexts, because that's what I feel compelled to do because I'm self-sufficient, self-reliant, and I want to be sure that I have done this well. It comes from a place of love. I get it. But, oh my goodness, it can be alienating to the young person. The young person can, can just not wait to get to that dorm room and just have this sigh of relief. Oh, I'm out of the bubble. I'm... I'm on my own and I don't have to listen to my parents anymore. And, and it's really not that harsh with most young people. They value our opinion. They value advice. They need our input from time to time. Parenting is harder at this age, in my opinion. And we're still going through this. I mean, we're, we're our, our daughter's in her mid-20s and, and, it's, and it's still challenging to, to know, you know, what, what inputs does she need? How do we support her? How do we best love her during this during this phase, you know, they, they start, they start adulting and it's awkward. Well, I get the advantage of being a teacher at circle Christian school in Orlando. And I, I have the opportunity to interface with students and I'll tell you, I'll tell you something funny about that interface. I'm not suggesting to you in this podcast episode that I've got this down pat. 
I struggle to this day with parenting through this phase. But I've had some helpful input over the years, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you about one of them. I, I actually had a young lady who is, who's actually very kind and engaged in class. And I remember that particular class period being uh, one that I remember fondly. It was, uh, I teach government first semester each year and then economics second semester. And then I teach another worldview class. And then every other year they rotate in an ethics class instead of the worldview class. So they toggle back and forth. But this was, this was in the government slash economics class says, I should say. And a young lady said, Mr. Warren, you know you're not cool, right? And I don't remember whether I responded or not. I, I, I think I said something stupid like I'm prone to do when I'm caught off guard. But I was thinking, <laughs> of course I know that I'm not cool. Look at me. I'm that self-aware at least. But this group of young people have taught me some things. And, I, and, I, and when I think about them, that particular year or two, they were they interfaced particularly well. And this was this was just before COVID, just to give you some uh, time frame. And I, they taught me that words like cool, rad, lit, and woke are not synonyms. So adults, I'm giving you a freebie here. They they should not be used interchangeably. Now you probably know that woke means something else, but cool, rad, lit. And fly, dope. I, I can go on and on. Uh, those, the, those are those are not necessarily synonyms. They're not just new ways of saying old things. You know, I I learned what a vine is back then. I learned about TikTok back then. And uh, some of you, if if you're if you're my age, you might need to get a young person to uh, to explain these things to you later. But I learned that Facebook is for old people back then, and that is increasingly true in the minds of young people. There's Snapchat now, and, and Instagram seems to be kind of a go-to for, for doing things that old people do on Facebook for young people. So don't expect to see lots of young people on, on Facebook. I also learned that I'm a dork. A student proclaimed from that very same class, Mr. Warren, you are such a dork. And then when she saw the worried look on my face, and, and she's a dear, sweet young lady, and she saw that look and she said, don't worry, some people think dorks are popular now, so there's hope. <laughs> That's just kind of how they roll. So there's, there's kind of uh, one, one, one more sort of the thing that, that, I, that I learned, uh, have learned over the years that I think is important to say at the outset, and that is that, that uh, it's, it's really a serious lesson, and that is that, that young people can be uh, steadfast and faithful, and they understand the purpose of trials in their lives, and they react correctly. There are, there are young people that we can have confidence in that give me give me hope for future generations. These young people have, they've, they suffer. They suffer unthinkable loss. Uh, just this year, we've had uh, two parents of students who've died during the, the school year. And we've had other years where students had cancer or a student even died or uh, 
there's just been there's just been difficult. I don't want to go into all the cases, but but young people are experience these traumas at a very young age. So there's there there's another kind of lesson though that that I want to I want to talk about that I think is is very important, and that is this thing that I alluded to earlier, where students have to learn, we all have to learn, adults at all ages have to come to the end of ourselves. And the way that happens, I believe, for most people, if not all, and I think I think there's there's some universal truth here, regardless of your circumstances, that we have to come to grips with who God is and who we are. And I, I add, and you, you know, you hear in the introduction of this podcast that, and I, I don't really like the way we said that, but it, but it's how God relates to man. It's not how we relate to each other, but that's okay, I guess. It, so, so who God is, who man is, and how God relates to man. At some point, we have to come to the end of ourselves and recognize that. And the, the way I approach this in, in the classroom is to talk about God's character, who God is during the first class period of the year. I would encourage you, before you take on anything else, um, and, and if you're going through this transition or you're already doing what my students call is adulting, that you contemplate who God is, that you do a study of who God is. This isn't a this isn't a 30 minute devotional period. This is hours and hours and hours. You can study who God is for a long time from scripture and learn God's character. We actually write God's characteristics on the whiteboard at the beginning of the first class, first period, the first class period of the year. And it's amazing how extensive that list is. All the omnis God's, you see God's power, you see his transcendence, his being apart from us, his being holy, his being imminent, being with us. But it is who God is that helps us see who we are. And, and this isn't a depressing thing necessarily. It's just real. We are woefully separated from God. We are in every way. Uh, we, are, we are made in his image. I understand that. I, I know that there's some likeness there from an image standpoint, I get that. But in terms of power, in terms of righteousness, we are vastly separated. And we've talked a lot about God's wrath in on, on this podcast. And we've, we've gone through Romans and talked about Romans 3 and what that really, really means. Uh, go back and review that material if you, if you decide to do this study. But, but there, there are really a, a couple of challenging philosophical questions that that we we have to we have to grapple with and and this is a deep grappling this is not as simple as god can use these truths however he chooses to he can reveal them to us however he chooses to and i get that but but one is how does god you know who is righteous forgive sinful man and declare sinful man righteous while maintaining his own righteousness you hear me say that a lot on this podcast. The, the, the answer is he gets involved in the person of Jesus Christ. But the second question is, how do we appropriate this or realize this forgiveness 
And the answer scripture gives us is by faith. We, again, we even learn that Abraham and David were justified, are justified by faith. Paul describes our turning from our sin and self-reliance and trusting in Jesus Christ and his self, his sufficiency. Uh, that That is true of all of scripture. All of scripture points us to the gospel. But there's, there's a day of reckoning. There's a there's a point, and it and it's it's not just it's not a moment, but there's a point in our lives where we have to realize I'm, I'm going to fail at this. I can't do this. I come up short, and I I look at great characters in Scripture like Jacob, for example. Let's just let's just hone in on, on let's hone in on two of them. Let's let's go let's go Jacob and David. I mean these are patriarchs. These are. These are people who are mentioned not just by Jewish people, but by everyone as heroes of the faith. And yet, Jacob was a really weak, disobedient leader who allowed all kinds of idols. You can read about it. I think it's somewhere around Genesis 35. You'll see, you'll see kind of Israel's repentance where they destroyed the idols. And I mean, I mean some horrible, horrible things happened because of their sin. And, and, and when, when we go through that, when young people do that, young people leave the bubble and they go out, you go out into the, the brave world that you, you can feel like, oh my goodness, my sin has destroyed my life. I've, I've lived a double, I've lied about this and I can't, I can't overcome it. I've got, I've got one life I live in front of my church friends or my old friends at, at a Christian school or, or whatever it is, or my family and then I've got another life I live over here. I can't reconcile those things. And I'm making mistakes left and right. Oh, my goodness, what do I do? Look at Jacob. Or better yet, let's look at David. A man after God's own heart. I'm not suggesting that it's okay to just live a life of sin. I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm, I'm advocating for coming to the end of yourself sooner rather than later acknowledge take that first step to acknowledge i need to come clean and i need help i want to live a life that is consistent i want to live a life that is meaningful i want to live my life in the context of the gospel of jesus christ you know i i learned some powerful lessons from the late rc sproul and I often talk about one of them, and it's it's really it's it's really interesting if you've never contemplated this. If you if you have, it's it's obviously redundant. But it was he looked at me one day at lunch when I was trying to talk about my life and career, and I wanted to make a career change um, after thirty years in banking. I wanted to do something more significant. And I sat down with him and said, you know, well, how might I transition to ministry? And as he was prone to do, he he decided I'm going to give this guy some wisdom. And he asked me if I knew the difference between necessary and sufficient. Necessary and sufficient conditions. And I said, of course. And he said he said, explain it to me. And I stumbled and fumbled and and he finally said, Have you ever started a fire? I said, of course. And he said, then, then tell me the necessary conditions for starting a fire. And I thought, well, good grief. I'd never thought about that before. Uh, combustible material, you have to have oxygen, you have to have a flame or some spark of some sort. 
He said, that's right. And he said, each component on its own is necessary, but all three together are required to achieve sufficiency. And he went on to talk about God's sufficiency and how he is uniquely sufficient without any other conditions being met, being necessary. This is critical of our understanding of who God is. We have to come to the point where we understand who God is. And that, that eliminates altogether this sin of self-reliance or moralism or immorality, the sin of self-sufficiency that we are so prone to, that Adam and Eve were even prone to in the garden. So we, we, we often act as if we're afraid to let ourselves challenge the assumptions. We're, we're afraid to let young people think critically. And, and th- that was another thing that RC said to me uh, during that, that meeting. I asked him how he writes so many books. He says, he smiled and said, I just challenge the assumptions. I can just hear him saying that. He, you know, the, the challenging the assumptions about the philosophy that we've embraced is not harmful. It's, it's wonderful to do. It leads us to God. That young people are going to do this anyway, parents. They're going to challenge the assumptions. I would urge you to have an environment like that, but to study God's character as you do so. God's character as revealed by Scripture. This this tendency to make us the central ourselves the central character of human history instead of God, who is the central character, is damning, destroys us, causes sin, causes us to have doubts and fears and concerns. We are wo- woefully inadequate as the center of the world. Secularists have learned this. Postmodernists have learned this or are learning this. The human being as the center of the universe is lame, woefully weak because of the implications of the fall. We often wonder why the world is full of fear and anxiety. We give students, we give you the impression that you're the central character, the hero in the story of redemptive history. We, we say things, we say really stupid things like, and I know me, we mean well, and I've said these things. And I'm ashamed that I've said these things. And this is going to sound really innocent. And you're going to say, why are you ashamed of that? The next few years will determine the course of the entire rest of your life. You ever said that to a young person? Now, that's, that's kind of a grabbing them by the shoulders and giving them a shake and saying, try hard. Focus. Because your GPA and your, where you go to college and whether you flunk out or not and what your major is, it'll stay with you the rest of your life. Well, now, now some of these decisions are more important than others, for sure. Some things are more important. They resist the tyranny of the urgent and focus on the important. I, I like that. But we put tremendous pressure on you, young people, when we make you central to the story, as amazing as my students are. I, I see this very clearly. As amazing as you are, as, as superior as they are in a lot of ways to their peers, academically and otherwise, with special interests and all kinds of, I talk about them all the time on this podcast. But, you know, and I see them becoming successful people, successful doctors, electricians, lawyers, plumbers, missionaries, pastors, teachers, 
moms and dads, members of Congress, maybe a president or two. I, I, they give me hope for future generations. They, as much as I, I celebrate them, they still are not the main character in the story of human history, the story told by scripture, God is. Oh, we're in the story. We're not unimportant, but our stories belong to him, not to us. He's the central character, the hero of the story. The gospel isn't just God loves you, although he certainly does. It's that Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul makes it clear in Romans 11 that God is everything. He says, for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. That's one of the things you're going to encounter if you take me up on this challenge to study who God is. We often answer the question, what is the key to or the secret to living a good life rather poorly? We often have a high view of man and a low view of God. Well, I want, to, I want to challenge all of us to investigate who the God of the Bible actually is for yourself. Re- read Psalm 51. I've discussed it here, but uh, discussed it in the past. But, but read, read Psalm 51 and, and David's repentance, and you'll see so many character traits of God. God, God, God is a God who requires repentance. He's a truthful God, a wise God, a purifying God, a joy-imparting God, a cleansing God. He's with us. He's a renewing God. He's a restoring God, a sustaining God, a converting God. He's all of those things and more just in that passage alone. David cries out, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. David came to this moment that I'm describing. He came to the end of himself, and God called him a man after his own heart. This high view of God doesn't happen by accident. This is, this is living life quorum Deo, what we're describing here, before the face of God, aware that we're living life before the face of God. We're living it before his face. He is aware of everything, not just aware of everything, but sovereign over everything. And yet we still have volition, we still make decisions. I, I wanna encourage you. I know I've been talking primarily to young people, but I, no, no matter the age, I'm, I'm talking to me, just to be frank. This, I'm having a little revival meeting, standing, sitting here with a microphone in my face talking to you, a little revival in my heart as I think about these principles. When we have doubt and fear, we can focus on him and he will reduce our anxiety. When we're confident and strong, we can focus on him and be humbled by him. When we don't know where to turn, we can focus on him for clear direction. When life doesn't make sense, focus on him for wisdom. When we fail, focus on him for recovery by his grace. And when we succeed, focus on him and humbly remember his equipping. I'm, I'm really asking you to read scripture with a bias toward learning who God is and focusing on him. Every page of scripture has the instruction uh, 
to do this, to, to focus on his grace. The one that comes to mind is 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm asking all of us to come to the end of ourselves, like Jacob, David, and Paul did. This is the message of Scripture. I hope this is helpful. Graduates, may God bless you richly. Don't be afraid. Take one step at a time. It's the way you eat an elephant one bite at a time. This can feel daunting. These are important days, but they will not determine the course of the rest of your life independently. We are, we're the product of every decision we make, and we are the beneficiaries of God's amazing grace. If we learn his character, we learn who he is. He renews through scripture, renews our minds. That allows us to change our path. If you're struggling, if you're challenged, if you've, if you've made some mistakes, if you've found yourselves deep in sin, deep in philosophical bad thinking. God is a redemptive, sustaining, forgiving God whose grace is sufficient. That is just encouraging today. I hope you're encouraged by this. I hope you'll share this episode with friends. I want to encourage and love young people with truth well. It is the thing that motivates me to teach. It's the reason we started this podcast this is serious business. This is important. This is, these are life lessons. May God sustain you richly and bless you. I'm, I'm just excited about this generation. I'm excited about your perspectives. I could go on and on. So please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also go to our website, johnwarrenmedia.com, for more information about our work. Feel free to contact me at john at johnwarrenmedia.com or go to our contact page on the website. I look forward to being with you again next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren.